We have been looking at this series, uh, Being the Church Together, and this morning we're going to look specifically at how when we're trying to be the church together, when we are being the church together, we need to be humble. And humility leads to unity. Okay? We, one of the main themes of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, one of the main themes is unity. And I have to believe that Paul would not have mentioned unity so often in this letter if it wasn't a problem for the Philippians. And in fact, as we get later in the letter, we're going to specifically see an instance. Uh, He's going to call a couple of people out and say, hey, please work together. Please get along. And so unity is something that, that they specifically needed to be encouraged to pursue. And this morning... I am going to encourage us as a church and us as individuals and families for us to come together in unity and to pursue Christ together, to be the church that he has called us to be together. Because I long to see God do great things through this church in the future. I know we've seen it in the past. And and honestly, I really believe that we're seeing some great things happen right now. I'm really excited about what God is presently doing in our church right now. And I want to continue to see him blessing us. I want to continue to see him doing great things through us. And I, I want when someone in the community hears First Baptist Church, I don't want them to think, uh-oh. <laughs> Which, I'm just going to be honest, that's been the response I've had from a few people. I want, when they hear First Baptist Church, I want them to immediately think of Jesus. I want them to immediately think of the love Christ had for them. Because we are, hopefully in the future, we are going to be modeling Christ so well. We are going to look so much like Jesus in the way we do life together, in the way we do ministry together, that people will think Jesus when they hear First Baptist Church. But in order for that to happen... We have to be unified. There has to be unity. Let me just go ahead and tell you, I know you probably already know, but if we do not have unity in this church, we will not see these things that we're longing for. We will not see those things come to fruition. They won't happen. Because if you look throughout history, if you look in the Bible, time and time and time again, it's amazing how... Uh, disunity or selfishness, as we'll be talking about this morning, how these things will quench the Spirit. There can be a movement of God. God can be doing incredible things in the hearts of His people and in the life of a church. And then pride rises up or arrogance or someone demanding their way. And all of a sudden, there's not unity. And all of a sudden, God has stopped moving in that church. And I don't want that to be us. And I know that you don't want that to be us. And so this morning, as we look at this scripture together, it's going to be uncomfortable. Because I have this theory about me. And just don't tell anybody, okay? Let's keep this between us. But I have this theory that I I might be a little selfish at times. Where I might care more about my comfort than sometimes even the comfort of my family. Let me give you a little example. We're in the car on our way to a wedding, my brother's wedding in San Antonio. 
And Emma is just like screaming. And John Michael is trying to tell her to be quiet so he can hear his iPad. And Rose is just like, how much longer do we have? And I said, we just left Mansfield. Okay, maybe, maybe that's an exaggeration. But um, in that moment, I didn't care why Emma was crying. And I didn't care about John being upset. And I, and I felt like just telling everybody I'm going to pull over this car. Um, because I was more concerned about my comfort in the car than I was about anybody else in the car, right? And that's a funny illustration. But if we're honest, how often are we tempted to be selfish? Okay? If you have a television remote in your house, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I don't want to watch any more Sesame Street. Sunny days. Okay, now that song's going to be in your head, right? But... Um, to a parent, that song becomes like nails on a chalkboard, you know? And I don't want to see Gilmore Girls anymore. I've seen enough episodes. They're funny, they're witty, I get it. But how many times can you watch the same show over Rose? She's not here this morning, so I'm picking on her. They're with her family on spring break. So, um, so we, we joke and we think about selfishness in that way. And and that's an easy way to begin this message because, really, it's a lot more raw than that. It's a lot more real than that. It, it comes down to, after a long day's work, I don't want to be kind to someone in the grocery store. right? I just want to get my stuff and I just want to go home and I just care about the long day I've had. right? And it, it can get even worse than that. When you're arguing with your spouse, I know that you're going to have to use your imagination because y'all don't argue, right? Um, <clears throat> some of you laughed out loud. I don't know what that says about it. Anyway, um, but when we're arguing with our spouse, how often do we not really care about what they're saying or their opinion or how they got to that opinion? How often are we immediately already in our head determining how we are going to respond when they stop talking? Oh, yeah? Well, that's not true. And here's the exact instance that I can recall to tell you that that's not true. And that's what's going on in our minds. Because we care more about ourselves a lot of times than we care about other people, even the people we're supposed to love the most. Now, maybe you are like my grandmother. And I I don't just mean beautiful and awesome, okay? I have a specific example about my grandmother. My grandmother is 80 years old, and she will not sit down until everyone in the house has been served. She is just one of those people who puts others first. Maybe you have that personality. Unfortunately, I did not inherit that. Uh, But maybe you have that personality. And for you this morning, you're going to hear this and you're going to think, well, I I, I serve others. I put others first. But are you seeking unity? And so I hope that this message can speak to all of us. And for time's sake, I I need to move on. Let me put my little clock up here so I don't speak until 1 o'clock at least. Um, I'll try to be finished before then. 
But in chapter 2, verse 1, and remember, we're looking at how humility leads to unity today. This is what Paul says. And I just want us to, to pause on this verse for a second, to look at this verse and to discuss it. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, how many of you have ever been encouraged by Christ? Anybody ever been encouraged by Jesus? At least 10 of you. That's awesome. That's good. Uh, now, I think, I think if, if we were to ask that question to each one of us in this room and, and have the time to go around and talk about that, then most of us in this room can recall specific examples in our lives where we were encouraged in Christ, where we were encouraged by Jesus himself, whether it's something he did, whether it's uh, something that we read in the Bible, maybe it's uh, a prayer that he answered, but we have been encouraged in Christ. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, what I want you to know is Paul is setting these people up because he is saying things that, that everyone in the church is going to fall into this category. And if you don't fall into these categories, I'm going to say this gently, you're probably not a Christian. If you can't relate to any of the things that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, then you're probably not a Christian. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and sympathy. Let's look at these words. Is there encouragement in Christ? Have you ever been down and just needed God in that moment? And he showed up. Maybe all hope was just about gone. And he showed up. If there's any encouragement in Christ. Any comfort when you needed it most? Or love from Christ? Is there any of that in him? Any fellowship? We talked about this Greek word koinonia which means uh, partnership. Here it's translated as participation. And fellowship is the old word that, that was used. And, and what it means is it's not just a partnership like there's this business partnership. It's, it's this partnership where there's a special connection, where there is unity. Is there any unity, participation, fellowship in the Spirit? Any affection and sympathy. If any of those things exist for you, now Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, I'm talking to the church at Mansfield. If any of these things fit you, any encouragement, comfort, any of these things, then look at verse 2. Complete my joy. This is Paul's joy. He's saying, if you would do this, and this is going to make my joy full, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul is telling them that this is how they can can complete his joy. By getting along, by being unified, by living in unity, by knowing Christ and thinking in the same way. And now... He's not necessarily, this doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, okay? I am never going to root for the Patriots, right? But there's two of y'all in here, at least, who... (laughs) You see what I mean? 
I will always cheer for the Chiefs. I don't care how terrible we are. But since my childhood, I've been a Kansas City fan. It's Now, it's not saying that we have to agree on everything like that, right? You can disagree on lots of things. Take Rose and I, for example. We are two different people. We disagree a lot. But there's unity. Because we don't allow our disagreements to be the most important thing. Unity is the most important thing. Fellowship. Intimacy. That is more important than being right. You know, you can be right and be very wrong. When I was in college, I had this professor named Red Hawk. I'm not making that up. Red Hawk. And he was an awesome man. Um, but he, he definitely was not a Christian. And he taught me something in my first years of Christianity and following Jesus that I later learned to be very biblical, and yet I had not heard it taught in church yet. And that is, is that he said, sometimes... You have to allow people to be wrong in order to be in right relationship. And here's what that means. Is that how many of you, how many of you in here have been married for at least 20 years? Anybody? At least 20. I don't even think some of you are 20 years old. How are you raising your hands? But you've been married for at least 20 years. Okay. Okay. How many of you have ever won an argument, but you you lost? You know, you, Lynn Johnson just raised his hand really high. <clears throat> okay, you can win an argument. You can be right about the facts and about um, whatever you're arguing about. But you can do it in a way that where it doesn't really matter that you won the argument. Because you were wrong in the way you treated the other person. And what Paul is saying here is he's wanting them to be in unity to where even when there are disagreements, you're still going to go together in the, right, in the same direction. You're, you're not going to split ways. You're not going to demand your way. You're going to continue together in unity even if you know the other person is wrong. Now, there are some hills that you want to die on, right? If there's someone in the church who says, I just cannot believe that Jesus is God and that he can save us from our sins. Well, then that would probably be one of those instances where you have to choose to disagree and go in different directions. Okay? But I've seen... Now, for those of you in here who have, like, not experienced anything bad in a church before, look, I've experienced the most love I've ever felt in my life from... Obviously, first, my, my, my family, my wife, but then from a church family. When I've been in need and I've needed people to step up, it has been fellow Christians who have stepped up and been there for me. The most joy, the most love I have experienced in relationship, in addition to my wife and family, has been a church. But the most hurt that I've experienced has also been Guess where? Church. And so, 
in relationship, when, when people are in relationships, hurt is going to occur. We just have to make sure we're doing our best to honor Christ and to minimize the hurt and minimize the pain. Okay? I have been in churches where they have literally split because of something as simple as they wanted to change the color of the carpet. Or they wanted to go from hymns to praise courses or from hymnals to, um, what's that called? Monitors and screens and projectors and stuff. And look, people can disagree about stuff, right? You can have your, your preference of your taste of music you can have your preference uh, of whether you just like seeing words on the screen so you don't have to look down and you feel more comfortable, or you like to have the music there so you know how to sing the song. Uh, you know, whatever in the hymnal, you can have your preference of that. But your preference of that does not supersede Christ's call for us to be unified. Does that make sense? And so, if you want to be a happy spouse, then you better set your preferences aside sometimes or parent, or child, in any relationship. And if we want to be a healthy church, then there are going to be times when we as individuals have to set our preferences aside. We cannot demand... There is a fly that is bugging me. Shoot, fly. We cannot demand our own way. I prefer that that fly leaves me alone, but if it doesn't, I'm going to keep preaching. We are going to dwell in unity on this stage. And you might have some flies in your life with names and flesh. But we, have, we can't demand our own way. We ha- there has to be times when we know our preference, we know what we prefer and what we desire, and we put those aside because it's more important that people experience the love of Christ in the church. It's more important that people see Humility exemplified. That is more important than us demanding our way and getting our preferences. We can get our preferences and we've still lost the fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every church can look at times in their past and realize that they have handled things poorly. That's just life. Now, what we have to choose to do is to not make those same mistakes again. Because it really speaks to hard-headedness and sinfulness when we see the pain we've caused and we continue to go through anyway. We continue to, to demand our own way regardless of how much pain it causes or how much hurt it causes. And so, when he's saying here, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, he's not saying that you have to have the same preferences on everything. He's saying, despite your disagreements, despite your preferences, despite those things, together, let's move forward. Together, let's choose to be of one mind. Together, let's do this in unity. And let me tell you what unity doesn't look like. The person who doesn't get their way and grumbles the whole time you move forward together. That's not unity. Okay? So... An example of this would be when Rose and I first got married and I did not know how to communicate my true feelings to her um, yesterday. Uh, no, I'm just picking. 
when I didn't know how to communicate those true feelings to her, then she would say, where do you want to eat? And I'm like, ah, anywhere. But really, there were a few places that I would like to eat, and I didn't really want to eat at those other places. And she would say one of the places I didn't want to eat. And I'd be like, oh, fine, let's, let's do that. And she was like, oh, did you want something else? No, that's fine, let's just go eat there. And so we would go eat there, and the whole time I'm in a bad mood, and even if the food was good, I would find a way to not enjoy it, you know. That is not unity. We don't want to be that church who demands our own way and moves forward regardless of what other people want. And if we don't get our way and we move forward, we're not to grumble and complain. Now, I don't want to get ahead because next week we're going to be talking about this a little bit. Um, So let's go back to this and just say that Paul has in mind that he wants people moving forward together in unity in the manner of which we've been discussing. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, he's already talked about conceit and selfish ambition in a previous passage in chapter 1. And there were these people who were trying to get people to come to Christ just so they could compete with Paul. And in that case, he says, you know what? As long as people are coming to Christ, then by whatever means, that's, you know, that's fine as long as it is honoring God and glorifying God. And so if they feel some kind of competition with me, then so be it. But here he's saying the preferred way that a church should move forward, the way that you reflect Christ, is you do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. There is no competition. It, it doesn't matter who has the biggest Sunday school class. It doesn't matter. And, and if we take this outside of just our church, it doesn't matter who has the biggest church. Now, there have been times as a pastor where there has been a bigger church in town and I have been jealous of that church and that is in, that's wrong. I shouldn't feel that way. I should be glad that God is using that church to, to, to build his kingdom and to do great things. And eventually I got to that place. But there are times when we feel competition. There are times when we think that we're better or our class is better or our church is better. And I'm just here to tell you that that is not a right attitude. Now, you can be proud of your church in a healthy way. Okay, there's this band called the Avett Brothers that I really like. It's folk music. And most of you just rolled your eyes and went to sleep on me when I said that. But um, they have this line in one of their songs and they say, I want to have pride like my mama had and not the kind in the Bible that turns you bad. Okay. So there's a healthy kind of pride, right? Like, Miss Trudy should be very proud of whatever just happened over there because that, that was awesome. But, and now she's mad because I called her out. <clears throat> In unity, let's move forward together. But there's a healthy type of pride that this is my church and God is moving here, and He is doing great things. And the pride stems from God and what God is doing, and not that my class is bigger, or my church is bigger, or look at my pastor, because this is what we're doing. I don't know if any of you feel pride in me, uh, but anyway, excuse my arrogance. But we're told to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humilities, in humility count others more significant than ourselves, than yourselves. Now, when we do that, that is easier said than done. It is easier said than done to put others first. It is easier said than done to count others more significant than yourselves. 
Because we get tired. Because we have had a rough go of it. There's lots of reasons why it's hard to put others first. Maybe they don't deserve it, right? If we're looking at it from a human point of view, maybe they don't deserve to be put first. But what if Christ looked at things that way? We'd be in trouble. Because none of us deserve for Christ to do what he did for us, and yet he did it. Let each of you not look, look verse, sorry, verse 4, let, let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he's saying, let's move forward in unity. Let's put others first. Let's count others as more significant than ourselves. Let's, let's make sure that we are being humble servants who are putting others first. And he wants, Paul wants the Philippians to have this mind among themselves, this train of thought, this direction, this action within the church. And I desire for us, First Baptist Church in Mansfield, I desire for us to have this mind among ourselves, what he's about to say, the things he's already said about unity and the things he's about to say about humility and unity. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian... You have surrendered your will to the Father. You are to live as He desires for you to live. You are to want what He wants. Those are the things that should organize our priorities and our actions is what Jesus desires. So this is what, this mind that we're about to see, this is what is already ours in Christ Jesus. If we are living like Christ, if we are being like Him, then this is the mind that we should have. Next verse. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what this is saying is this, is that Jesus, according to the Bible, according to uh, John 1.26, when God said, let us make man in our image. Well, who's us? Us is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, we, uh, John identifies the word as Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, right? Was the word. And Jesus already existed before he was born as a man. He existed in heaven, eternal in the past, before he was born as a man. Now, there was a moment in history when he was born as a man. There was a moment in history when he came into time but he had existed before that. And so, though he was in the form of God, so he was already in heaven, but he didn't count that as something he should cling to. He had the rights of God. He was God. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have demanded that we serve him, that we worship him, but he didn't cling to those rights. Look at verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So who is our example of being selfless, of seeking unity? That Who is the example that Paul has given? It's Jesus. And this is our mind that we have if we are in him, if we are followers of Christ. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
Do you understand that for him to be born as a man, what a sacrifice this is? He existed in perfection as God in heaven. He was not affected by this sin in the way that we are affected by sin. He, he did not have a body for that body to get sick or for that body to have nails go through it. And yet he chose to be born as a man and experience all this suffering and all this pain. And he chose that because in order for him to put us first, to put God first, he had to choose that. In order for him to die for us, he had to be born. And think, all the time we think of what it meant for him to die for us, but just to be born for us, just to be born so that he could die for us is amazing. Him choosing to be born meant that he was choosing suffering. But that's what a servant he was. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What Christ did, I cannot understand and I cannot explain it. Because I would never do it. If I was God, there, there's, that's a scary thought in itself, but I would never choose to leave the comforts of being God to be born as a man and not even a man who would be revered. Not even a man who would be put on an earthly throne, but a man who would be crucified. And yet, for God's sake, look at the very end of that verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. That's why he did it. For God's sake, he did those things so that we could be saved, so that we could have a relationship with God. He did those things. And he is our model for humility. So when you want your own way, and you think about what it will cost you not to get your way, it's not going to cost you what it costs our Savior. We can, even if you're crucified, it's not going to cost you what it cost him because he had the, the choice to stay in heaven, to never experience any of this. And we don't have that choice. In humility, we count others more significant than ourselves because that's exactly what God himself did. That's what Jesus did. We have a role model in this. We want to be like Jesus. Now, in Ephesians 4, when it's given what a healthy church looks like, it says that we mature into the complete manhood of Jesus. And so if we want to be a healthy church, then we have to reflect Jesus. And if we want to reflect Jesus, then we cannot demand our own ways. We have to go together in unity. We have to put aside our preferences and go together in unity. And I believe that we can do it. I believe that we can do it, not because... You're just good people in Mansfield, which I believe you are. Not because you've got a, a pastor who is at least competent. I think I'm at least competent. That's not the reason why I have great hope in this church. I have great hope in this church because this is your mind. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Because we are His church we can do this together. 
we can figure out a way in love to disagree. And we can have disagreements. And we can have conversations where we disagree. But in the end, in unity, together, we move forward. Even if we all don't get our own ways, we move forward in unity. And in order for us to do that, then we're going to have to take our egos, which if yours is like mine, it can be pretty big sometime. We're going to have to take our egos and we're going to have to put them aside for the sake of unity. But think about what Christ did. Think about what he set aside in order that we could have life through him. Now, next week when Rose and the kids get back, uh, Rose and I are going to be officially joining the church. I hope y'all will have us. We haven't technically moved our letter from our last church to this church, but we're going to be doing that. And so here's what I want you to do. There's a lot of you in here who are not members of this church. And I want you to consider joining our church, becoming members of our church, in order that together, in unity, we can move forward to where God has taken us, where God is leading us. You can do that this morning. Maybe you've already been praying about that, and you're ready to make that decision. You don't have to wait. I'm just telling you that my family and I, Rose and I, are going to be joining the church next week and that there will be an opportunity for you to, to come with us and join. And so I want you to be praying for that, praying toward that, that decision next week. And if, if you're not ready, I'm not pushing you toward that. I, if, if that's not something you believe God is leading you to do, I understand because I'm not just saying this. I really mean it. I want you to be at a church where you can grow, where you can worship God, where you can connect, where you can live in unity, where you can see the glory of God displayed, okay? And if you don't believe that that's our church, then we can agree to disagree because I think our church can be be that church. Um, But if for some reason you don't feel like you could fit into that, then I'm just going to encourage you, you know, all the way to you finding another church. I will help you find another church. I want you to join some church and to be united with some church, even if it's not our church. But I'm not going to pressure you time-wise of when that should take place. I'm just giving you the invitation that Rose and I will be doing it next week, and feel free to do that with us. So be praying about that. Um, There are different ways to join our church as we work together and go together in unity. You can join our church if you are already a Christian and you've already been baptized, uh, a believer's baptism, which means that after you became a Christian, you were baptized, then you can just join our church. If you're a member of another Southern Baptist church, you can join by letter, which means your membership will just be transferred to our church. If you're a member of a church that's not a Southern Baptist church who won't transfer membership that way, then by confession and by baptism, you will be accepted into our membership. Um, and then you can, uh, if you've already confessed Christ, but you haven't been baptized after your conversion, after you came to Christ then you can be baptized into the church by your profession of faith. And then the last way is, if you're not a Christian and you haven't been baptized, then you can become a follower of Jesus and you can be baptized. And so, uh, which we encourage also. It just so happens. And so, to close this message, here's what I want you to know. Is that we have made mistakes in the past when it comes to unity, all of us individually in this church 
and let me just say, not mistakes. We have sinned. We have done wrong in the past when it comes to unity. But as we move forward, as a church, as, as individuals, as families, we are going to move forward in unity. And when one of us is behaving in a way that does not promote unity, then in love, we will confront each other. In love, in respect, in humility, we will approach each other. And we will strive to move forward in unity. But we want to reflect Christ. We want to reflect his love. And in order for us to do that, we have to consider others more significant than ourselves. The number one person we have to consider more significant than ourselves is God, is Jesus. And we have to do what he desires for us to do. So we're going to enter a time of invitation. And during this invitation, maybe there was uh, something that was said or read that convicted you. And you are thinking of a time in your life where you have been not on the right side of causing unity and being a part of unity, but maybe you've caused division. And during this time, you'll have an opportunity to confess those sins to God if you haven't already and to ask him to forgive you and to bring unity. But let me just say that if you were part of causing division, then you not only need to go to God, but you need to go to the people that you hurt. And that can be hard but you need to pray about that during this invitation. And don't just pray about it. Do something about it. Or maybe you know someone who was hurt. You could pray for them during this invitation. But I do want to challenge you to make sure that you're dealing with your sin before you start dealing with other people. Make sure that if you've caused division, that you're asking God to forgive you. And then I also want to encourage you, maybe you've heard about the unity, maybe you've heard about what's yours in Christ Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him. You don't have a, you've never been saved or born again. You've never given your life to Christ. We, you can change that this morning. God can change that. He can save you this morning. If you feel him calling you into salvation, then respond. Follow him. Or if you just need someone to pray for you because you want to dwell in unity, but it's hard because of the things you've experienced in life, or the way you were raised, or whatever the case might be, if it's just hard for you to move forward in unity, and you want me to pray for you, then I would love to pray for you. But let's let's pray, and then we'll have our time of invitation. Lord, I. Pray-